0: Courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also
1: supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the art and decorative link and click on icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois.
0: Today we greet you in the light of the east with this greeting, Christ is baptized, and your response is in the Jordan. Previously we greeted you with Christ is born, glorify him. Now it is Christ is baptized in the Jordan. At least for those of you, again, we have to always qualify this, who are on the Gregorian calendar. We were within the feast of the baptism of Christ. In the Latin rite, they celebrate the feast of the three kings. But in the Eastern churches, those that are on the Gregorian calendar, we celebrate at this time, this week, the great, great feast of the Theophany, the baptism of Christ. We call it Theophany because Theophany means to reveal God. And in fact, that is one of the great, great theological significances of this great feast day in the Eastern church. As always, Eastern churches emphasize the theological significance or the impact, the relevancy the mystical underpinning of any event in the life of Christ, of anything on the liturgical calendar. And for us, one of the great theological underpinnings of this great Feast of Theophany is the fact that the Holy Trinity was revealed. That, of course, is very big in the Eastern Churches. We're very Trinitarianly conscious. We end our prayers always with a doctology to the Trinity. We say, for instance, for your holy, our God, and we render glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. In the Latin church, the Western the church, they often end their prayers with the words, Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Both, of course, obviously are legitimate. They're all doxologies dedicated to God. But in the East, we emphasize always the Trinity, the Triune God. And in the West, they emphasize the Christocentric dimension of the prayer. As I mentioned, this is a great feast of revelation or theophanic emphasis. In other words, God is revealed, God in the person of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But before I go any further with this great feast, and by the way, it's one of the, probably I always call it the second most profound feast in the whole liturgical calendar in the East, second only to the resurrection of Christ, his death and resurrection. This is the Theophany, the second greatest feast. It's huge in its impact. And in fact, it used to be celebrated along with Christmas. It was all one continuous observance because it was that observance of a God who manifests himself. In fact, that's what epiphany or theophany means. Something is being manifested. But before we get any further with all of the deep meaning of this feast, I just want to acknowledge a few people, thank them for their letters and their contributions. First of all, I want to thank... The Ron and Nella Javernicki family out of Farmington Hills, Michigan. They sent me a really nice card with a beautiful picture of a squirrel. Actually, it was a card this past Christmas, and the card said this. Uh, Just wanted to let you know that Bushy also loves listening to Theosis. That's our choir CD that you hear on our program. And says, whenever we play it, she, meaning Bushy the squirrel, visits us in the evergreen tree in front of our kitchen window and also feels the peacefulness of the music and falls asleep. May God bless you richly. Yes, we love your program, always learning something new. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ron and Nella. Jabber Nikki from Farmington Hills, Michigan, thank you for your kind card and beautiful picture of Bushy. And our greetings to Bushy out there as well, and thank you for your donation. Also, I want to thank, as always, our stable and ever-present supporter and listener, Mr. William Radovich. It's interesting that his last name is Radovic, because that the beginning of R-A-D, rad, actually refers to root, like something very stable. And he's certainly been very rooted in the light of the East here, always a stable Rooted listener and support of us. And we can't thank you enough, Mr. William Radovich from Illinois. And we also like to thank Terrence Kennedy from Kingwood, Texas. Kingwood, Texas, Terence Kennedy for your contribution to Light of the East. And also, above all, we thank all of you for listening. As I mentioned, we're talking about the Theophany today, but also during this time, the church observes. A week of Christianity, there's an emphasis on unity in the church today. So we're going to digress from the theology just for a minute with the help of our good friend here, Katie Goulis. And by the way, Katie, you're in the studio today with your sister, Stephanie. Welcome, Stephanie, to Light of the East. Christ is baptized.
2: In the Jordan.
0: (laughs) Very good. So what do we have for Christian unity? We have something an interesting item in terms of unity with the Eastern Orthodox and the Latin Rite Church, or the Roman Catholic Church, an item that came across the news service recently.
2: We do. This article is from cwnews.com, and the headline is, Russian Prelate Praises Pope Benedict for Recognizing Ecumenical Obstacles. And this is what the article has to say. In a public statement marked by its ambiguity, the chief ecumenical officer of the Patriarchate of Moscow has praised Pope Benedict XVI for not pushing to arrange a summit meeting with Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill. In an interview with the German journal Der Spiegel, Archbishop Hilarion said that the Roman pontiff, quote, understands the existing difficulties, end quote, that trouble relations between Moscow and Rome. The Russian prelate suggested that the late Pope John Paul II, did not adequately understand those problems and was unduly anxious to set up a summit that might have been, quote, just a protocol meeting and handshakes between TV cameras, end quote. The Russian Orthodox Church wants more results from a meeting between the Pope and the Patriarch, the Archbishop said. Quote, we want a breakthrough in our relations, end quote. He then proceeded to list the familiar conditions that the Moscow Patriarchate has set for a summit meeting, which are, an end to Catholic proselytism in Europe and Russia, and a resolution of tensions between the Orthodox and Eastern Catholic communities in Ukraine.
0: Well, thank you, Katie, for that an interesting statement from the Russian Orthodox Patriarch. It's always interesting when they come out with something positive positive. In relation to the Pope, because as a fact of the matter is, and this is not any kind of criticism, just simply a fact of ecumenism, one of the challenges and hurdles of ecumenism between East and West, is that the Russian Orthodox Patriarchate has been perhaps the most hard line in a lot of the emphasizing of the differences between the East and West. And I'd like to respond to one thing that the patriarch Kirill said about John Paul II. Actually, I think it was perhaps maybe a bit unfair, uh, maybe a bit presumptuous what he said, if I may be so bold. In truth, one of the tensions between the Russian Orthodox Church and John Paul II was simply the fact that they are Russian and he is Polish. Because we have to remember now, John Paul II apologized many times very sincerely to the Russian Orthodox it's all orthodoxy for any of the wounds and the hurts that were perpetrated by the Roman Catholic church or by the pope towards the east in any way over the years over the centuries and pope john paul ii would have liked to have come to russia to greet his eastern brother in the faith but he was refused and i think that the reasons the patriarch gave were perhaps at least in this article were not quite complete or it might say it wasn't totally honest, because the fact of the matter is, in all honesty, and I have to say this for the sake of acunism, remember, if we want to get along with each other, we also have to be very honest. There was a big factor simply in the fact that the Pope, John Paul II, was Polish, and the Russian Orthodox Church, of course, was Russian. And there's great animosities from history between a lot of those nations in Eastern Europe, because there's been exchange of hurts over time. Each one has hurt each other in their own way. And unfortunately, that does cloud sometimes even the way that they look at ecumenism or even some ecclesiastical policies and procedures and attitudes. So I anyway, just wanted to clarify that a bit and also give some background into what these issues are, this proselytizing and this question of the uniate churches. We'll give just a little bit of background to the two main issues that the Russian Orthodox Patriarch raised, and they are very real issues. He said proselytizing. Now, proselytizing can be looked at two ways. Proselytizing basically means you go and try to sort of entice the people from one church to come over to your church. And what the patriarch is concerned about is that the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, has sent emissaries and set up dioceses in the land of the Russian Orthodox patriarch. In other words, Russia was entirely for centuries, well, since in the last millennium, that is, since 1054, they have been what's called what we call of course the Russian Orthodox Church. So that's basically the church of Russia. Russia has a great profound Christian heritage to it and it was a heritage of the east and after the schism in 1054 AD they were became known as the Russian Orthodox Church. So they've had a profound heritage in Russian Orthodoxy in Russia which is basically basically the religion of that culture. And what's happened in recent history especially after the fall of the Iron Curtain, is that there were Roman Catholic dioceses are actually established, new ones, and new missions, new mission parishes established in Russia, in what is the basically land of the Russian Orthodox Patriarchate. And this has been a source of consternation, a source of tension between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Vatican. And when we come back, I'm going to give you the reason why this has been a source of tension and to explain a little bit more what we mean by proselytizing and the uniate question, as well as back to our profound feast of the theophany. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Goulis on Light of the East.
1: Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church has something special for your holiday table this Christmas season. Now imagine an incredibly delicious nut roll or poppy seed roll from the kitchens of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. These ample and substantial Old World treats are over a foot long made with loving care from Old World recipes. Just $15 each. To order your nut roll or poppy seed roll, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Pick up at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Willcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. Can't get to the church? We'll put it in the mail. Just add $5. Call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church Nut and Poppy Seed Rolls. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on The Theology of the Body, the discussions are led by Father Thomas Lawyer. Glory Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 1030 until 12 noon
0: Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live, live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228.
1: And now, back to Light of the East.
0: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm here with Katie Goulis, and I, of course, am Father Thomas Lawyer. We're talking about two things today. The great feast of the Theophany that is being celebrated for those who are on the Gregorian calendar in the Eastern churches. At this time of year, in the Latin Rite Church, the west along of the church, they call it the Epiphany, which they emphasize the visit of the three kings to the Christ child. Both are two different ways of actually emphasizing this whole concept, this whole idea of manifestation, of a showing forth. In the East, it is largely a showing forth of the Holy Trinity at Christ's baptism, as well as other things, which we'll get to in a moment. But we're going to finish up our talk on ecumenism, especially this recent article about the Russian Orthodox patriarch, Kirill, giving a positive message about Pope Benedict XVI. And he mentioned, though, that The issues that still divide us, two of them were this idea of proselytizing. We were talking about that before the break. The proselytizing that the patriarch is upset about is where Roman Catholic dioceses, new dioceses or parishes have been established in his country, in the country of Russia, which is largely a Russian Orthodox church, a Russian Orthodox territory. He believes that that's a way of sort of enticing his own people, many of whom, of course, are unchurched because of communism, a way of enticing them away from his church into the Latin Rite church. Now, the Latin Rite might respond this way. As I mentioned, this whole proselytizing issue is kind of complex, kind of twofold. The Latin right might respond by saying, but, however, there has been for a long time people who were displaced in various ways in Russia who are Roman Catholic, and they are simply tending to their own people. Secondly, they're saying that after communism, which of course was based on atheism, there are many, many unchurched people in Russia today and in Central Europe, especially among the young. And rather than have them be totally unchurched and not hear the gospel at all, they Latin Rite Church decided, well, why not bring the message of the gospel to them, even though it's in the Latin Rite, whether it's in Russia or wherever. So these are some of the reasons that are put forth by the West Lung of the Church as to why they are establishing dioceses and parishes in Russia, which is largely a Russian Orthodox territory. At the same time, the Russian Orthodox believe, well, we will evangelize our own people in time. It is not for you to come in to try to steal them away. So these are some of the tensions over this issue of proselytizing. However, there's still another dimension to this, and that is the proselytizing by the Protestant groups, especially evangelicals and Baptists, who were poised and ready. And to their credit, they were poised and ready to go over to communist Russia after communism fell, and even to the Central Europe area, They somehow were sort of anticipating that when that iron curtain fell, that territory there would be wide open for evangelization. They equipped their people with, they taught them how to speak Russian, and they were the first ones over there, and they were there very aggressively. So you have to give them credit in that sense for their very astute, aggressive evangelization, even though it's a source of consternation to the Russian Orthodox Church. And actually, of course, for us too here at Light of the East, because we would like to see the original faiths of that region renewed, which they are in many ways. In fact, once again, you can read about that in the book that we've been touting here called Finding a Hidden Church by Reverend Christopher Zuger. In fact, he mentions in there the proselytizing of the Russian people and the Central European people, most of whom have their heritage in Eastern Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, the proselytizing of them by these Protestant groups. So, proselytizing goes beyond just the Vatican for the Russian Orthodox Patriarch. And again, at Light of the East, we're sort of filling in some more of the details that maybe aren't always apparent. Now, the second issue is that of the union question, which, of course, strikes very close to us here at Light of the East because we are what you might call a Uniate-based program, Now, that word uniate can be used derogatorily today. At the same time, it could be used to denote something. It denotes those parts of the Eastern Orthodox churches that reunited with Rome starting in about the 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries. Again, parts of the Orthodox Church that reunited with Rome, this was centuries after the Great Schism that created the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Roman Catholic Church as separate entities. After that schism, about 500 years after that schism, parts of the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church began to reunite, the way it was before the schism. We call those churches, as is mine, the Eastern Catholic Churches. But the other word for them is also called uniate. And uniate means those churches that United with the Pope of Rome, thus the word uniate. However, that term has it's sort of like become an ecclesiastical circle, sort of like the N-word would be in this secular sphere. It's kind of a derogatory term, it has a derogatory tone to it. It does denote something kind of specific. So it's not entirely derogatory. It all depends basically on how you take it. Personally, I don't mind the term. I understand what it's trying to say. I understand also Although the upset that the Orthodox Church has over the fact that there are, in fact, Uniate or Eastern Catholic Churches. You see, the fact that parts of the Eastern Orthodox Church reunited with Rome over the centuries was a cause of hurt, a source of hurt and consternation for the Eastern Orthodox Churches, especially for the patriarchs, because they believed that, once again, just like with proselytizing, that their own people were being stolen from them or sort of lured away from them. And they believe that these Eastern Catholic churches ended up, in a sense, like hybrid churches. In other words, almost like the way we used to look at in our society years ago, mulatto children, you know, children born of a person who was black, African American, and also white. Years ago, the mulatto children were looked upon with a certain, actually like a disrespect. That is no longer the case today, of course. But that's kind of like how the Eastern Catholic churches are looked upon by the Eastern Orthodox churches in, in many ways. Then it may, maybe not by everyone, or every church, but by and large, that's one way I can describe it. But enough about hurts and division. The thing that we hold in common between the Eastern Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches is our liturgies, and especially our liturgical text. And there's a part of the liturgical text, the chants, the prayers that we sing and chant at this time of year as we enter into the feast of the Theophany, the baptism of Christ, the manifestation of the Trinity. And it is a text that I call the Theophany Conversation. It's a three-way conversation between a narrator, St. John the Baptist, and Christ, as St. John encounters Christ coming to the waters to be baptized. We're going to share this chant with you, without the music, just the text, with the help of our producer and engineer, Armin Shabatari, who will play St. John, and also Katie and Stephanie Gulus, who will be our narrators, and I will play the part of Christ.
2: When the Jordan River received you, Fountainhead, the comforter descended in the form of a dove, Now behold the marvel, the one who bowed the heavens, bowed his head to the forerunner, and the one who made clay cries out to his maker,
1: Why do you command me to perform what is beyond my power? It is I who need to be baptized by you. O Christ our God, O sinless one, glory to you!
2: O Christ, the forerunner saw you, coming to him and asking for baptism. With trembling he cried out,
1: Why do you command me to do what is beyond my power, O all-powerful Lord? How am I to touch you with my hand, since you preserve all things with your hand? Rather, you should baptize me, your
0: servant. I manifest myself as completely human. I who am rich have willingly become poor, so that I may enrich with incorruption and deliverance all the poor. Come, baptize the one who is not subject to corruption and who frees the world from decay. The forerunner
1: said to the Creator, For my part I am held back. I do not know where to flee. O generous one, you are the river of delight. How is it, therefore, that the streams of the river receive you as you enter them? To all those who venerate your holy manifestation, you pour out salvation, O word.
0: O baptizer, why are you doubting the mystery that I fulfill for the salvation of all? Lay aside the old and think of the new. Put your faith in God who has come down to earth and approaching me Obey my word, for I have appeared as God to purify the fallen Adam in my mercy.
1: O Jesus, took our sins upon your shoulders and have drawn near the streams of the Jordan. I am fearful of your appearance. How can you ask me to baptize you? For you have come to cleanse me.
0: You are the one who purifies all. How can you ask me to baptize you? No mind can comprehend my nature, but I clothe myself in the form of a servant, and now I stand in the Jordan. Lay aside all doubts regarding me. Do not fear, but draw closer to me. Place your right hand upon my head and say, You are our God revealed in the flesh. We glorify
1: and extol you. O
0: oh, Word of God,
1: your condescension is beyond expression in compassion for me who has fallen. You have clothed yourself in my nature, and you have restored all the descendants of Adam. I cry to you with faith, obeying your word. You are our God, revealed in the flesh. We glorify and extol you.
2: O luminary in the flesh and forerunner of the Saviour, O offspring of the barren one. O friend, by leaping in the womb you adored the One who is born of the Virgin, and you baptized him in the waters of the Jordan. O prophet, we pray to you, implore him that we may escape the future torments. God the Word manifested himself in the flesh to the human race. He stood in the Jordan to be baptized, and the forerunner said to him, How can I extend my hand and touch the head of him who governs all things? Even though you are an infant born of Mary, I know that you are the eternal God. You are praised by the seraphim, and yet you walk on earth. And the servant has not learned how to baptize the master, Oh, ineffable Lord, glory to you.
0: To all of our Orthodox Christians who are celebrating Christmas at this time on the Julian calendar, we here at the Light of the East say to you, Christ is born, glorify him.